Hello, friends. Welcome to the final episode this year of Tell Us a Good Story. This episode is actually very special to my wife for personal reasons. You guys, I've wanted to record a conversation with my godfather, Big Ray Etzler, and his son, Doug, for a long time now. And I don't get to see them as much as I'd like, so I really wanted to have this conversation with them. So Ray Etzler is actually in the Ohio High School Hall of Fame as a former basketball coach and spent his career as an educator. And his son, Doug Etzler, turned into a big-time high school basketball player and went on to play four seasons at Ohio State. You guys, I think this conversation will relate to a lot of people, including non-basketball fans. Yes. For example, when Doug was two years old, he suffered a major accident where doctors said he may never be able to use his right arm normally again. And can I say that that was his shooting arm? (laughs) So they share quite a miracle story. And Ray shares with me what Steph was actually like as a child, (laughs) which did not surprise me at all. You guys, we can't wait for you to hear this conversation with Big Ray and Doug Etzler. I'm Kevin. And I'm Stephanie. And during our marriage, we have dealt with an electrocution, a brain tumor, brain surgery. Then doctors telling us that children were not in our future followed by miscarriage, and then Kevin's cancer diagnosis. However, today, we live a life completely healed and restored with three healthy children who doctors said were not possible. And we're here to tell stories that inspire, give hope, and brighten your day. Welcome to Tell Us a Good Story. This episode is being presented to you by Luby Companies, a custom home builder here in central Ohio. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. All right, stuff. You and your family have been telling oh, me for years, for a long time. I've wanted to that talk. That we to need them. to talk to our next guest here. This means the world to me. This is so special to me, and I cannot believe we're actually getting to do this. Well, friends, our next guest are two basketball legends from Northwest Ohio. This father and son have played at an elite level and have coached in the same high school gym at Crestview High School in Convoy, Ohio, and. The father is actually the godfather of my wife, Stephanie Mason. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Tell Us a Good Story, Ray and Doug Etzler. I'm so excited. (laughs) Thank you for having us on. We appreciate it. Yes, kind of special for us too. Okay, so first off, you both have actually known Steph longer than I have. So Ray and Doug, do you have any good stories of my wife growing up? Was she as this energetic and this excitable, <laughs> I guess, growing up as a kid as she is today, right? With me knowing her. Well, as I knew her, yeah, she was off the wall most of the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> Had a lot of energy, you know. And, uh, one of the, the strange things about her is when they came out to our Christmas, Stephanie's favorite thing was homemade dill pickles. She just loved dill pickles. And that's what we had for Christmas <laughs> for her. And uh, on Sunday nights, when we go out to their house, they would always have something to eat. We'd pigeon hunt or we'd do something for, with the kids all the time. So, Okay, here's what's funny. Ray, I've, of course, I've met you a few times. Doug, I don't think I've ever met you, actually, in person, unless it was maybe at her wedding or something. Mm-hmm. But I always hear Big Ray. Big Ray. You need to talk to Big Ray. <laughs> That's what the Kellers always refer to you, Big Ray. And so... When we were having this conversation to talk to you guys, I was like, Steph, I don't I don't feel comfortable saying Big Ray. <laughs> and Steph immediately was like, you call him Ray or you call him Mr. Etzler. Don't be disrespectful. I'm like, Steph, your entire family has called him Big Ray for the last 18 years that I've known you. So I have in my notes here, do not call you Big Ray. You can call me that. Anything but late for dinner, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay. You guys actually remind me of the Trestle family. 
So we had the honor of talking to Coach Tressel uh, a few months ago, mm-hmm. and you guys to me are almost like the high school basketball, the basketball version, version of yep. the Tressel family. So Ray, do you remember when you first started playing basketball as a kid? Like what led you to basketball versus maybe another sport? Well, actually, there was really nothing for us kids to do when we had to choose things that didn't cost any money. We we had a very, I, I would say. Uh, we came out of a poor situation. We uh, lived in this dilapidated house with no indoor plumbing and then uh, water and no telephone, no anything until, my gosh, I was, we never had a telephone right even in high school. I can remember getting our first water in the house and we were just elated to get water in the house. We had a pump outside and a cistern and all those kinds of things. So we had to find things to do that didn't cost any money to, to do. So basketball was one of the things in, in the school that we did at noontime and things like that besides playing other types of games and stuff. But at uh, age 15, uh, I was about five foot six and weighed about 240. You, we had no football. We had either baseball in the spring of the year and summer or basketball in the winter. So we played an awful lot of basketball on the, on the outside. And that kind of got me started to play. And uh, as high school went on, uh, I wasn't interested in going on to college. As a matter of fact, my coach would bring me letters and I'd say, just pitch him the waste paper basket because I'm not going to go to school. You either went to college, you got a job or you went to service. And I was going to go to the service with seven other of my friends. Uh, my father wouldn't sign my papers because I wasn't 18 years old. They all went in the early program that they, they could get in at 17 years old. My dad said, when you're 18, you sign up, you go, and uh, that's okay with me. Well, in the meantime, some big coach came to my house, knocked on the door and in convoy. I, I think my parents probably thought he was a bill collector or something, but he wanted to know where this is where the Estros live. And they said, yes. And he wanted to know if this is where Raymond lived. Well, yeah, this is my son, Raymond. So he came in, we sat down at the, dinner, at the table and he said to me, um, my parents, if you want your son to come to school, he said, we can afford to give him the money to come. You don't have to worry about that. Well, I wasn't prepared for college, not whatsoever. I love school, but didn't like the academic part of it. So I really wasn't prepared for school. The first thing that happened to me was uh, I had to take an entrance exam because I wasn't in the half of my class. I didn't, didn't have the ACT and SAT at that time, and I didn't pass it. didn't pass the test at all, so I uh, looked like I wasn't going to get go to school. So my mother, she said, why don't you just go up and sign up at the post office there in Van Wert for the Navy? So I said, okay. So that particular morning when I got home from work from the factory, I went up to town. I got the mail. And I got this Note says that I was entered into the college because somebody wrote me a flattering letter of recommendation to come. So mother was sincere about it. She said, well, Ray, don't worry about that. You won't be the last person that fails out of college. Oh, give no. A yeah, yeah. Well, she knew what it, you know, she, she didn't do it sarcastically. She knew that I wasn't prepared for it. So uh, <laughs> I was going to give it a try. And, and then I went in on probation. And I had to get a two point, which at that time, anyone who was on probation only had to get a one seven five. But because of my situations, I had to okay. get a two point. Well, guess what? Two point zero zero four four. Exceeding expectations, right? Yeah. <laughs> but at college, I uh, made it through the first year of school and uh, basketball at the, the college level was a little bit different. The, the fans weren't always there and you yeah. had prepare yourself that way yeah. so uh, okay. that's how i got started and, and went on to play at defiance college for four years and i had a, a good career at the college uh, and as a result i got teaching 
And that was another situation. Uh, I had to pass the English proficiency test to be a teacher. Well, it took me six times to pass that. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, yeah. And then that six times I had to take uh, writing skills each time I didn't pass it. So the last time me and my wife were going to get married in uh, into my junior year, going into our senior year. And I thought I took the test. And I worked all night long at the factory, drove up on a Saturday morning, took the test. And I thought, well, this is it. I'm going to make it. You didn't pass the test. Then I, I couldn't student teach, which is that was all about. So come back and uh, I passed it. That was the I got news of that the day that we had our wedding rehearsal, which is big. Aww. news. I mean, like, yeah, it was all kind of a miracle that, that it took place. And and so uh, that's what basketball did for me. Anyhow, it got me something altogether different. So, Ray, yeah, I just ask you. When you first started playing basketball as a kid, and I almost got your whole life story right there. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. No, that was good. I had so many questions there, and I'm just we like, met, hey, who cares, right? I was like, I think it was Defiance College, right? Well, I called it the Harvard of the Northwest. Whoa, Steph! Steph! Ray, I played basketball at Ohio Northern, and I call it the Harvard of the Midwest. <laughs> And when I say they call it, it really means I call it the Harvard of Midwest. That's awesome. We played Northern. Did you? We played Northern in the old Taft Gym. That was be- maybe before your time, but that's yes. where we played. Doug, not to get sidetracked here, okay. but your son took a recruiting visit to High Northern, I saw. He just recently did. And probably of all the visits we've been on, that was the one, as parents, I was most impressed with. I had been to the gym. To, yeah. I think it's called Kinghorn Center the several Kinghorn times. Center. But yeah. I have never been on campus, and I was amazed at how much bigger it was than I thought it would be. And then I left thinking, like, let's sign up. I'm ready for him <laughs> really? to come here and yeah. close enough that I can come watch him play. And it just felt like it would be a great fit with the kids that he is around. But, yeah, that was much better than I thought it would be. I just thought it would be a lot smaller. And it remind, my daughter goes to Bowling Green. I'm like, this is a lot like Bowling it's Green's close. campus. It's, it's yes. a lot, lot bigger than what I thought it would be. But he had a great visit there. Oh, that's good. Okay, so back to you, Ray. Is it true that you were asked your senior year of college at Defiance to try out for the Pan Am Games? Is that true? It was true, but financially, I didn't have the money that you had to pay your way to go. But at that particular time, as a senior, we were married. Uh, but the, the Pan Am Games, yeah, but there's there's guys on there, like Jerry Lucas, and those are the guys that you'd be competing against. Uh, but there was they were very very good players. It was, yeah, and it was just it was just a tryout. It wasn't it wasn't a guarantee. Do you regret not being able to try out? Do you always think about it? Well, yes and no. You thought about where you stood at, at that level of basketball, where you stood uh, with other players. But at that time, you know, my main objective was we were married. I needed to get a job, blah, 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 you know. So those are the kind of things that that took priority over, over the basketball. But there. just to be invited, right, Amazing. to try out is an incredible That's honor. huge. Incredible honor. Steph, what's most important to you when it comes to building a new home? Okay. I want a builder who's an expert in what they do, is going to be honest with me, and cares about even the smallest of details. Well, thankfully, we know just the builder. You know it. It's Jay and Connie Luby with Luby Companies. Friends, don't just take our word for it. Go check out their website at lubycompanies.com. That's L-U-E-B-B-E companies.com. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. Okay, so Ray, you talked about being a physical specimen at five foot six, 240 pounds. 
So how tall are you? Because when I've met you in the past, I'm thinking you're like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. How tall are you? Because like everybody in the Esler family seems to be tall. I'm only about now about 6'2". At one time, I was 6'4". Okay, but six, maybe four. that's why they got Big Ray because I was much taller than the Kellers. And, and my, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but uh, Doug probably was the one that got shorted on the end of it because he was the, the shortest of all of them. But uh, I was six four at the at the maximum. Well, yeah. speaking of height and weight, I'm going to go ahead and throw out one fun fact here from oh. my list. So here's a fun fact for you, Doug. You and I graduated high school at the same exact height and weight. Six foot, 175. And so you're like the shortest one in your family, which blows my mind, right? Like your nephews are six foot eight. They play at Miami. They play at Ohio State. Was there ever a time where like, hey, my growth spurt's about to kick in. Like <laughs> it's going to kick in here sometime soon. Like were you always nervous about like how tall you're going to be? Not really. I mean, I, I just never was very big and I always played on the perimeter and it wasn't a big deal. It was just, it was what it was. And in the 175 in high school, that was a strat. I think that's what they listed me when I got to high state, but that must've been with like snowmobile pants on or something. I, I did not play. I was probably 160 coming out of high school. I was skin and bones for sure. So I want Big Ray to tell a story okay. of Doug, since we are talking about Doug. Yes. So Big Ray, can you please share the story of when Doug was two years old and what happened to him? Well, when Doug was two years old, Colleen called and said she thought that Doug had broke his arm. So I, she said, come home. So I got the chores done. I went home and they were in the like a assembly room there in the house that we lived in. They were all sitting there. All the kids were sitting there. And he fell off of, at the time we thought he fell off. I understood he got pushed off of the slide, 12 foot tall. And he landed on his elbow and knocked his elbow off, his elbow mm. off on the right, Ooh. his right arm. So my wife said, you need to take him somewhere. She had to stay there. She had to stay there and uh, with the kids. So I took him out to the Van Wert Hospital. And the doctor who delivered him said, I'm not going to mess with this. I'll send you to an orthopedic surgeon in, in Fort Wayne. So when we got there, they said, we'll be ready in the operating room. When we got there, they took him right in. The guy's name is Dr. Sugar. I'll never forget this. And we walked in there and he, he looked at it and he said, I can't promise you anything. He said, it looks to me like if I can reduce this thing, he said, to the fact that his, his elbow will just be bent. He said, we'll be lucky, he said. So after the surgery was over, he came in and said, well, I did the best I could do. The elbow was located midway between his uh, elbow itself and his wrist. It was just a knot there. Mm. And they had to shove that elbow up there. And they stuck a screw through that elbow. And he was in traction uh, as a two-year-old. He just got done with him potty training, all that kind of stuff. And he was in traction. He laid that way for, I think, it was a better part of three weeks. And they would come from time to time. And take x-rays of this. So I had a portable x-ray machine. I slept under his bed at nighttime. And then Coley would come up during the daytime. I slept underneath his nighttime. And that's the same time that uh, Stephanie's mom and dad came to convoy. And, of course, at the time, the prayer chain started with our church and went out. And everybody was praying for Doug. But three weeks into it, they said we was, they're going to take him on attraction And they're going to put a cast on his arm. So... They did. The doctor told me he didn't, wasn't understanding what was happening, but he said, look to me like the growth plate where it was at was growing, growing very fast. Mm -hmm. So they put this cast on him. I think we was home for two weeks with the cast on. And he said, bring him back and we'll cut the cast off. So we went back. This is about five weeks into it. And uh, they cut the cast off. And he told me, he said, now, 
at nighttime when you're sitting with him on, on a chair or something, he said, just bend that elbow if you can, as much as you can to, to push it out, he said, because this might help him a little bit. Well, we went home and we lived in the house next to us where my daughter lives now. And he jumped out of the car and he went over and picked a ball up and threw it to me. Somebody who wasn't supposed to be able to bend his elbow to the baseball or the big ball he threw to me. And it was like nothing had ever happened. We didn't have to do oh. any kind of rehabbing. Well, it was, it was a miracle. Basically, this prayer session. The doctor told me, he said, I don't know what's happening. I said, I knew exactly what was mm-hmm. happening. I knew in my heart what was happening. I told him, I said, I know, Doc, what was going on. And that's so awesome. That's the story about the miracle of Doug. And then, of course, from that time on, Doug took upon himself to become a player and did lots of stuff that most people wouldn't do to become a player. I mean, on his own, very on his own. And so hours and hours and hours, we would go places like uh, I was a principal at the South Gym, which is about 25 miles from here. We drive over there in the morning at six o'clock and he'd get his 250 shots and he'd get on the school bus to go to classes. And then he does lots of other things too. So, but that whole miracle, I think, might have been with something that helped drive him to be what he was. Anyhow. So, Doug, was that your shooting arm? That was my right arm. Yep, shooting arm. Wow, Doug, I like how your dad said it was on his own. Was it actually on on your own that you would go at like six a.m. and shoot two hundred fifty shots? Because Steph was telling me you would do this on Christmas. On Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. you would not leave the gym unless you made like eight free throws in a row or something like that. Was that your routine? I'm not going to say on my own because I couldn't get there by myself. But <laughs> my dad taught over at the Crestview South. He was the principal over there. So he would get me up every morning. We would go over there. But it had to be every day. It was one of those, if you didn't do it, like your day wasn't complete. It was just part of the routine. And I knew that was the only time when the gyms were for sure going to be open. So we did it before school and got it out of the way. And But it was a daily routine that is just something that we did every single day. And not everybody else did it, but it was normal right. to me. That's just, that if you're going to get better, you got to do it every day. When did you start that, Doug? I believe the, the year or two before junior high. So I was either in fifth or sixth grade when I started doing it. And then all the way through high school, even game day on a Friday when I was in high school, we would still go in and shoot. Not, maybe not as many as 250 that morning, but I didn't feel like I would be able to play as well if I didn't do it. And maybe that was a mental thing that I couldn't get over, but it, I just had to do it every single day. And you're right, Christmas Day, we we're still going to go over and mm-hmm. shoot at some point. I'm going to get my shots in. And that was just part of the routine. Let's take one more step. Please. If we went someplace on vacation, we had to go someplace where he could find a outdoor court or someplace to shoot and do what he's doing. That was all part of it. I think we went to uh, Texas once and, and we had to find a place. We went to Disney World and had to find a place. Of course, he played Little League Baseball, too. So that was a big thing of his, too. I thought at one time maybe he would like baseball better than anything else because he was a good baseball player, too. But that was something he just had to do. And I can remember uh, we had a uh, lamp that we put on our spouting in a basket out there. And him and his brother would be out there. Our neighbors would come and tell her that, you know, 12 o'clock at night, that they'd like to get to sleep. You know, they, they were still out there. <laughs> I mean, it was just a, it was a situation where I wouldn't call his height being a, a handicap. But if you're not big and you can do this, you have to do some other things that will make you equal to those other people that you're competing with. You know, it's funny you talk about not being very tall. Guys, you are six foot tall. That is like, <laughs> that is taller than the average human on the planet. It's so like, definitely taller it, than my dad. It's funny that you talk so. like you're the, the short one in the family. Mm-hmm. But when does that end, Doug? 
I believe you played a year professionally overseas. Like, at what point do you stop doing the 250 shots every morning before you go to work, before you go to school? Oh, crap. Like, do you still do that today before you you teach at the high school? Like, at what point does that stop? It stopped the year I quit playing over in England. I, I played and, and lucky enough, their professional basketball over there was a little different than our professional basketball. So we didn't practice every single night, but we had access to their kind of like our YMCA, but they had a big place they called the Dome. So okay. we could go there every single day. So even while I was there, it was an everyday thing. I only played there for one year. Then I got back into graduate school. And once I went to graduate school, it was good enough to to hang it up where I didn't have to do it every day. I still like to play, but I didn't go and shoot every single day after that. Once I was done playing, then it was those days were over. Was it hard for you to stop? To shut it off? Yeah. It, it was. It, I'll be honest. It kind of switched from a everyday shooting thing to then it became an everyday some type of exercise thing, whether it was lifting riding the elliptical, running. I still had to do something everyday physical, but it wasn't the shooting part of it anymore. All right, Steph, I'm going to test you again here. What is your favorite book of all time? Uh, Obviously, it's the Bible, Kevin. (laughs) Yes. Nailed it. Very good. This time, you didn't say the book we wrote called You Met Her Where. But it's still a really good book. That is true. And it would make a great gift for friends or relatives on their birthday or for Christmas. Friends, you can order your copy of our book titled You Met Her Where at KevinAndSteph.com. And we will make sure to personally sign a copy for you or whoever you want. And as always, thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. Steph, what's most important to you when it comes to building a new home? Okay, I want a builder who's an expert in what they do, is going to be honest with me, and cares about even the smallest of details. Well, thankfully, we know just the builder. You know it. It's Jay and Connie Luby with Luby Companies. Friends, don't just take our word for it. Go check out their website at lubycompanies.com. That's L-U-E-B-B-E companies.com. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. All right. So Ray and Doug, for all of our guests, we like to give a list of fun facts. So listeners know what you've done, what you accomplished. And this is going to be a little bit odd for me because most of the time, I do not make Steph aware of any of these fun facts. And so you're actually going to know most of these. Mm-hmm. Actually, you'll know all of these about Ray. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you'll know these about Doug, what okay. I'm about to share though. Okay. And of course, this is going to spur in some conversation. All right. So Steph, Ray... Mm-hmm. And by the way, you keep calling him Big Ray, I by the way. I do keep calling him Big you Ray. That. Yes. Ray Esler served 28 years as head basketball coach at Convoy Crestview High School. His Crestview teams won 445 games, mm. lost 171. His record includes nine league titles, 16 sectionals, five district, one regional title, advancing to the state tournament in 1971. In 33 years, let me know if you know this. Okay. He was teacher, guidance counselor, elementary principal athletic director, the head baseball coach for seven years. Of those seven years, he won six sectional titles, two district titles. He was assistant football coach, head girls track coach, cross country coach, (laughs) junior high cross country coach. Like the only thing you didn't coach, Ray, was like wrestling here, it looks like. Did you just try to coach, you know, anything every season? How did that work, Ray? Well, two things that drove drove me. uh, (laughs) One one was that we didn't have anybody that wanted the job. And, well, she, he said he said head track coach. I was under her dad, Steve Keller. We did a girls program, got the girls program started together. But 
uh, and no one else wanted the jobs at that time. The money was money was very very poor, but it helped us financially. But the money was poor for the hours that you put in. Uh, at that time, girl sports started in the seventies, started strong in the seventies, and nobody wanted to coach girl sports. So you know, men took over. There wasn't that many women uh, that wanted to coach that. There was good women out there, but they didn't want to do it for one reason or the other. You know, it wasn't quite the time it is now, but it helped other people get an opportunity to participate in stuff that that was available. All right, Big Ray. My dad wants you to tell the story of one of the crazier games you coached that involved kerosene heaters. Yeah, I have not heard this one, Ray. Okay. This was back in uh, 1983, 82-83. And we were going to play a Parkway on a Friday night, and we had a cold spell. I mean, it was so cold that our doors on the west end of the gym had frost on them all over them. And the gym itself got up to around 50 to 55 degrees. Uh, oh, my that. gosh. If this had kids had on coats and hats and stuff like that, that's how cold the gym was. That furnace was going full bore, but we just, just couldn't hold it. So we decided we was going to have the game. We had to get the gym heated up. So we got about six to ten of those kerosene pot heaters and then we stuck them in the gym to heat the gym up and then locker rooms to heat the locker rooms up so we could get the game on well it got up to around 60 and of course when the crowd came in it filled up with all that extra heat so it made a situation where we could have the basketball game but it this place smelled like kerosene smoke the whole night oh But to get the game in, we had to do some extra things. That I think are her dad's idea. Let's get some kerosene. <laughs> I think he wanted to bring some smudge pops in there too, but we didn't do that. He's like Ray. What could go wrong? Let's bring some kerosene heaters in here, right? Right. Could, right. Right. What could happen? Right. We got to get the game in. It's on the schedule. Yeah, could fix it. But what? What happened? Who cares? Steph, did you know that Ray coached all these sports? I knew he coached a lot, but I didn't know he coached all of them. Literally, like everything you could sign up for, it looks like he coached during his high school career. Well, I could just see my dad, you know, being the principal, like, hey, Big Ray, I think you could bring home the victory if you coached X sport. You know, you did so good here. I think you could do another one. But Doug, here's the thing. You only coach high school basketball. You got to step it up. Like, there's like 10 other things here on this list that you could be doing, apparently. (laughs) I coached junior high cross country, and I oh, used do. to coach junior high track at Taze Valley. So I did a little bit, but not everything like he did. <laughs> There's one thing they never asked me to coach. What's that? Scholastic Bowl. Scholastic Bowl? <laughs> we had a Scholastic Bowl team that competed, you know, and I never got asked to do that for whatever reason. I'm not sure. <laughs> was it the 2.0004 GPA? I, started it. That's, I think that was an indicator, yeah. That may have been it, Ray. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, next fun fact about Ray. He was elected to the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Hall of Fame back in 1996. So how do they inform you of that, Ray? Because that's like literally the top honor that you could have in Ohio as a coach, right? How do they inform you of that? Well, there's a guy by the name of Don Henderson who was on the the board of that. uh, And he gave me a call at school. And wanted to talk to him, and he said, "We have uh, elected you. Your name has been elected into the uh, basketball hall of fame." He said that such and such. I said, "Are you kidding me? You got the right person." He said, "Yeah, we do." So I was going to have Doug. Doug was going to introduce me, but the time he was overseas playing, so Andy okay. introduced me at the hall of fame. Yeah. 
Oh, what an honor. Special. Final fun fact stuff for Ray. In 2010, the Crestview Local Schools honored Ray by naming their high school gym the Ray Etzler Gymnasium. Mm -hmm. And that's actually where you coach today, Doug, which is amazing. So what's it like to coach a basketball team in the gym that's named after your dad? It's surreal. I mean, more than anything, I... So I didn't think it was a situation that would ever present itself, but this once in a lifetime opportunity to to go back home and coach in the gym you played under your dad in, and then it's, it's named after your dad. It's just an awesome, awesome honor to have that opportunity. Mm. So Doug, I'm trying not to talk about everything Ohio State with you, right? But I grew up <laughs> an Ohio State fan. Let me share the story and keep me honest, but I'll share the story of the first time that I heard of you. Back in the 80s at St. John Arena, they used to do a thing called Midnight Madness. Do you remember this? Yeah, we, I was part of Midnight Madness, yeah. Yes. So I remember going to St. John Arena, where the high state plays, for a Midnight Madness game. And what this is, folks, is it's the first practice of the year, and they open it up. It's free for all high state fans. You can come to the gym. It starts at midnight. They come out. They do like a slam dunk competition. They do all kinds of fun stuff. And then they scrimmage against each other that night. And fans who typically can't go to the game can get in and watch their favorite players play for free. So I forget how old I was, but I was a kid. My dad took me there to that game. All right. And I remember them doing a slam dunk competition. And this would have been your freshman year. Do you know where I'm going with this, Doug? I, I know. I, I unfortunately was not able to make either one of my dunk attempts that I tried. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I remember them trying to get you to dunk. Your teammates are cheering you on and stuff, and you are the shortest guy on the team, obviously. And I think at one point, you're just like, scrap it, and you just rolled up to the three-point line and shot a three and swished it, and the entire arena went nutso. <laughs> Am I making this up, or do I remember this correctly, Doug? Yeah, you, you were head on. I actually, I think I tried to dunk it two times and failed miserably, so... <laughs> I was like, forget it. I'm not going to do that and embarrass myself. And it's dark. They have a spotlight on you. Yes. So it's hard to even see what's going on. You know, you got the yes. spotlight. So I stepped out. I'm like, please make this three so I don't just get booed out of the gym my first time playing in front of a big crowd. So but lucky enough, I made the three and got a big ovation. And that's kind of the first memory I really have on St. John Arena floor. Okay. So when you got to High State, were you surprised the platform, the level that that was at, right? Because that was literally life-changing. Because today, I'm sure people come up to you and still say, hey, I remember when you played at Ohio State. Like, was that really surprising for you? It was uh, always a kind of a lifetime dream. I always wanted to play there, uh, follow Jay Burson, you know. But it's right. when you're from small town Ohio, it's hard. I don't, it, you don't get as seen as often. You not get the recognition. You're not playing against the best talent. So to have an opportunity when he's recruiting, I still remember my freshman year, I started getting letters. We played in the regional finals my freshman year and got beat by Columbus Worley, who had Lawrence Funderburg. Lawrence on the Funderburg. Team. Yeah. So they beat us. And after that game, I started getting some recruiting letters that at the time I'm thinking, hey, High State wants me. And they sent me a letter, but not knowing they send letters to hundreds of kids throughout the state and throughout the United States. And so I, I still remember just talking about that with my mom, even she was like, she didn't like that I was getting letters from Ohio State because of the disappointment that was going to come when they didn't offer me a scholarship. You know, you're, you're from small town Ohio. Your odds of them actually finally saying, hey, we want you are slim and none. And luckily enough that as I got older, I played at the right place when they were there to watch and I played really well. But yeah, it's like dream come true for small town Ohio guy to get a play at Ohio State. Yeah. If you look at the media program, 
you literally, Steph, have to be the top one or two players in your entire state mm-hmm. to be at the level where you could play at Ohio State. It's, it's really incredible. And plus, for Doug to be a six-foot point guard at that time makes it even more rare. I mean, you've got to be able to shoot the lights out to do what Doug did. That's, that is incredible. So yes, that's the first time I remember hearing of Doug Etzler back in like 91. Steph, what is one of the most asked questions we get about tell us a good story? Uh, do I really get that excited? <laughs> Besides that one. Oh, how do we get all these incredible guests? Correct. Yes. And some of our best conversations have been with guests who our listeners have reached out to us and said, you should talk to this person. To name just a few, Nick Vujicic, Coach Tom Ryan, Carol Mutika were all recommendations from our listeners. So if there's someone you would like us to interview and think they might be a great fit for Tell Us a Good Story, please let us know at kevinandsteph.com. You don't even have to personally know them. True, but do me a favor. Before you submit their names, please make sure they are still alive. <laughs> That has actually happened, and it is super hard for me to find their contact information. But regardless, thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. So I want to bring it back to high school with Big Ray and Doug, because, Ray, I know you, and I know that you're just not going to let your son play unless he's proving himself. So as a freshman, Doug did not play varsity right away. Can you explain that and tell us the story of how he got on varsity? And side question, Doug, are you still upset about that? <laughs> I, I am not. I, very, very rare for a freshman to play at Crestview. So I, I was willing to pay my dues and wait as long as it took. Well, Go ahead, Ray. Yeah. I kind of had an idea that he's, he was going to fit in someplace, but I wanted to make sure that everybody else who were sophomores, juniors, and seniors, that it was yours to keep if you if you keep it or it was your job to lose. So he played JV ball the first six games and we'd dress him and we'd have a quarter left over and he might get scraps or, you know, what we did in the ball game. But uh, it came a time when I had two of my varsity coaches and varsity captains came in. Both of them were seniors. One of them is a highly, I respected him a whole lot. He coaches in, in Columbus area. And he come to me and he said to me, uh, if he was anyone else except your son, would he be starting? And I didn't have an answer for him, but oh. uh, they, they answered the question for me. So he started about the sixth or seventh game into his freshman year. And they, they took Doug under his wing, under their wing. And Doug, he worked himself into a starting position and kept that starting position. I think by the end of the year, he was scoring eight, ten points. Yeah. Big Ray, how did you know Doug was special? Yeah. When did you know like that? Like at what point yeah. were you like, okay, Doug's actually really good? First of all, his shooting form and his ball handling ability when he was a kid, you could tell that that was ex- exceptional. Uh, whether he's going to develop it, some people have permanent potential and it just stops there. But his potential just continued on and on. As an eighth grader, he went over to a, a Catholic school in, in Decatur, Indiana, who was supposed to be one of the toughest places. We scheduled them and, okay. and we waxed them real bad in their gym. And people come up and said, well, what, what grade is he in? Well, he was an eighth grader at that time. <laughs> and I, I, I saw some potential in him, you know, but I didn't want to push him into it. I didn't want to rush him into it. I wanted him yeah. to be able to, to do the things he could do. I, I knew he could do it. But he had to be the person who wanted to go over and shoot the shots. I wasn't going to say, hey, you need to go over there. He had to be the one who wanted to do that. Yeah. All right, let's do fun facts for Doug here. Okay. Fun fact number one for Doug. And keep me honest here, Doug. Doug played point guard for Ohio State from 91 to 95, serving as the team captain his senior year when he averaged 16 points a game. Mm -hmm. Next, Doug. I went on eBay today 
And did you know you can buy Doug Etzler autographed trading cards for $12.50 <laughs> from 1992 and 1993 from Ohio State? But in a related question, <laughs> Doug, do you sell things on eBay by chance? <laughs> I have copies of the card, but I do not. Do if I get 12 bucks on them, I'm going to sell a couple of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I looked it up like, oh my gosh, there's still Doug Essler memorabilia here. And yeah, they had some of the high state trading cards from your freshman and sophomore years. I love it. It had to be the Jim Jackson card that was bringing in the money, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Steph. In the Ohio State Annual History Media Guide. Mm-hmm. Doug is mentioned in there. I know this. How many times is he mentioned in there? Take uh, a guess. 10, 15. Doug, how many times do you think you're in the history guide that I looked up today? How many times is your name in there? I'm going to go less than that. I'll go five. Ray, how many times do you think Doug's in the high state media guide here? No, I'll probably go half of Doug's three. <laughs> I, you know, I follow that kind of stuff. So, Okay, the answer, gentlemen and stuff, 18. What? You're in the history guide 18 times, Doug, which is amazing. So in 1995, Doug scored 37 points in one game at Ohio State. Which game was it? George Mason. George Mason, yeah. How many threes did you have that game, Doug? I hit eight threes that game. Yes, (laughs) eight threes that game. And the record was nine. I should have shot a couple more times. (laughs) You should have been more selfish, Doug. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so in 95, he was the scoring and assist leader at Ohio State when he was captain. He shot, I'm going to round up, Doug. Okay, I know you're going to know the answer here. He shot 90% from the free throw line that year. He was 51 and 57. Unbelievable. It's actually 89.5%, but I'm going to round up. I think he deserves I'm that. Being, being the CPA that I am, I Doug, like I'm rounding up. <laughs> he was Ohio State's MVP that year on the team. Amazing. Okay, so what do you get for that? As an MVP of the Ohio State team, please don't tell me a car back then. I, I wish I got a car. No, unfortunately, <laughs> I, I got recognized at the banquet with a trophy, I guess. That was, that was good enough for those times. No NIL deal on, yes. at that time. Okay. Do you still have the trophy? I still have the trophy, but unfortunately, between the moves, it is boxed up somewhere in our basement, and I am not sure where it's at, <laughs> but we still have it somewhere. Hey, I want to know, Doug, most memorable game at Ohio State? I... I Unfortunately, the most memorable game is not a great memory game, but we played Michigan in the final eight game at Rupp Arena my freshman year. And at that time, I didn't play very much at all. I was We had won the Big Ten my senior year in high school. So my freshman year, almost the entire team is back. If I could get a little bit of time that year, that would be amazing. But we were really good. We were Big Ten champs. We were number one seed in the NCAA tournament, and we made it to the final eight game. We played the team up north, and we had beaten them twice during the season in the Big Ten. They had the Fab Five, so they were mm-hmm. more experienced at that time. They were the same age as what I was, but they beat us in overtime to go to the final four my freshman year. So, unfortunately, not a great memory, but I, I can remember it clear as day. We had a jump shot to win the ball game. Chris Gent missed a little about eight-footer that he would make probably nine out of ten times, but he didn't make it. They had a couple of threes to start the overtime, and we ended up getting beat by that team. Uh. But that was one of the best Ohio State teams they'd had in years. Like, Jimmy Jackson was a junior. Like, that was an incredible year. I remember that, you know, being a kid. How good was the Fab Five? Like, do you have any good stories about playing them? Were they, like, as arrogant as what you see on, like, the documentaries and stuff? When we played them, they I, I didn't get that sense that they were that arrogant until I saw the documentaries. Because really? I, I believe... 
they had a name for us that wasn't the Buckeyes. It wasn't a good name by any means. As far as talent goes, they were phenomenal. I I still remember, I believe Chris Weber had a 360 dunk against us. And then I also remember one time there was a loose ball on the floor and he grabs it with one hand, palms it, and just goes up. And I'm like, who is able to do that? But yeah, they were unbelievable talent. They Best freshman class, I think, probably of all time. They were they were phenomenal. We knew they were going to be that way. When Doug was a senior, we played the, at that time the Ohio Michigan All Star Game. Oh, we, okay. We played at Grand Rapids and we played at Bowling Green State University. And I happened to be one of the coaches that coached against them. And we got beat at Grand Rapids by four or five points. And then we came down to Bowling Green and we got beat by a couple points. And I talked to the coach. I thought, gee, many Christmas. We, you know, we didn't know there was Fab Five. We, you know, we should have beaten them guys. And here come to find out it was those five, Fab Five played against us. And except for the Leonard kid, I one, one from Ohio. But John so Leonard went to Minnesota. He was Minnesota, on the team too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he was the only one. But I was at home one day and I got this call. Doug was at the Princeton Nike basketball camp. And okay. Michigan's coach called and said, I want to offer your son a scholarship at Michigan. And Doug was at the camp with all these other kids. And I said, well, what, what can he do? He So he can get these guys, other guys, the ball. So I told him I knew he didn't want to go there, but that, that was quite an honor at that particular time because he saw him play at uh, Bowling Green at, and, and probably one of your better ball games, Doug, against the kind of competition he was playing against. Uh, and that, that all-star game, was it was a pretty good ball game. So he had an opportunity to play with them, but decided he didn't want to do that. So, so Doug could have been part of the Fab Five? Yeah. I, I don't know if they would have called us. It, it might have been that four and a half. Four point three or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I never even thought about that. You would have played against like Chris Weber and all those guys yeah. in high school because you were at that level. Yeah. That's amazing. That's pretty crazy. Okay. To this day, Steph, Doug still holds the career high state three point field goal percentage record. He shot 45% from the three-point line for his entire career at Ohio State. That's unbelievable. I did not know that. I thought John Diebler had surpassed that record. I didn't realize 30 years later you still hold that. That's incredible. Are you surprised that a record you set back in 94, 95, it still has not been surpassed? I am very surprised when you have names like John Diebler going through the system, you feel, I think I was very lucky that it wasn't broken because he had a really, really poor shooting freshman year. But from then on, if he would just take his last three years, I'm sure he would have surpassed it. But yeah, yeah, I would never guess with all the good shooters they've had going through there that I was lucky enough to still hold on to that record. If you like what you hear, please tell someone about us. As soon as this episode is over, go tell your spouse, your closest friend, a parent, a coworker, or share one of our posts on social media. However, if you don't like what you're hearing, please do not. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. Just disregard this message. Don't worry about it. Forget about us. Yep. Go on with your merry day. And to get more information about us or our entire catalog of episodes, be sure to check us out at kevinandsteph.com. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. Okay, so final fun fact here. Doug was a three-time academic All-Big Ten at Ohio State, so his sophomore, junior, and senior year. So my question, Doug, is what happened your freshman year? <laughs> Did you slack off because you didn't get anything your freshman year? So He was he was at the gym too much. That was it. He was shooting. He was yeah. shooting it. That's right. That makes sense. I, I'm going to go out of limb here. I don't know for sure, but my grade point average actually was the best my freshman year because we had to go to study table every day. 
And they told us if we got a 3.0, we didn't have to go to study table. So I busted it. I'm not going to study table or I don't want to go over there. I want to go back to my dorm after practice. So I got a 3.7 my freshman uh, first semester or first quarter at the time. But I don't think they allowed freshmen to be academic all Big Ten. That's what I'm going to stick with is my story. But I actually had my best GPA my freshman year. Okay, that makes sense. We don't want to put my point average and his point average together. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be detrimental to him. (laughs) I don't average that out. Okay. Hey, Doug, I have a question for you. You come from small town Convoy, Ohio, and you make it big at Ohio State. What was that like for you with small town to big? But even going home. And I mean, everybody would be following you at Ohio State, your career. You can't hide. You literally cannot hide at Ohio State. The worst thing is when you come back home and people come up and start talking to you and you're like, I know I should know who these people are, but I don't know who they are. So I got to go. My wife would tell me all the time when she hated going to the fair with me because people would come talk to me and she's like, you didn't introduce me. I'm like, I would introduce you, but I don't know who that was. I, I don't know the person. So they came up and talked to me like we were best friends, but I didn't know them. But my, my best story with going to school, I mean, my graduating class we had in the 60s. I want to say like 65, 66 kids. And my first class I took at Ohio State was at Independence Hall. And I walk in and there's 700 people in the class. Oh, and my I'm gosh. Like, what is this all about? How I'm in a class now that's bigger than my whole town of Convoy and <laughs> This is what everything's going to be like when I'm here. But it it was just awesome. I mean, I, I would not trade it for anything. It was the best four years of, of college that I could have experienced. And it's just awesome. Small town and, and you make it, you have a chance to do it. And I would do it all over again. You know what I remember? It's Christmas night. And I remember all the stuff that you would get, like the tennis shoes, the clothing. And it was all brand new. Like you'd come home and there's boxes of Nikes. I was like, wait, he gets all of this? Did that blow you away? Yeah, it's spoiled. I I mean, I had one pair of shoes every year in high school. And by the end of my freshman year, I'm like, I got like 12, 14 pairs of basketball shoes in my locker. Like, which one am I going to wear today? Sweatsuits, (laughs) no suits. I mean, yeah, it was and even better gear today. I'm like really jealous now of what they get. We were wearing champion stuff. They're wearing all Nike stuff. I'm like, man, they're really taken care of. But yeah, from what we had here at Crestview to what I got there is big, big step up. It was pretty nice. Yeah. Okay. So final story. So when you guys logged on here to Zoom, Ray, I told you my father-in-law gave me three full pages of notes here of things I could ask you. So he was very, very helpful. On this notepad, it says, ask Ray the story of his daughter, Lori, needing a car when she graduated. Do you know what he's referring to there? Well, yes. Um, <laughs> can, you sh- can you share that story with us? Because I, yeah, I, I will- have not heard this. Okay. Uh, this is graduating from college now. She graduated also from the Harvard of the Northwest. Okay. <laughs> and she had a job in Columbus in a children's home as a counselor or whatever. That's what she first job she took in Columbus. And the car that she had was a 1963 or 64 Chevelle. And it, it just didn't work. But my mother had passed away. 
And mom had a car that was set in a garage for three years because she had ovarian cancer and the floor rested out. We had no cement floor. Car was in great shape, except the floor rested out and everything that could have went wrong, the ball joints and everything else because of the the, the situation. So when they sold my mother's stuff, they were only going to, the bid was $150. And I thought, I'm not going to let somebody have that for $150. So I bought it for $250 and that was going to be her car. It was but there were some things that was bad on it. It sounds uh, like things it. were bad on it was, first of all, yeah. The first thing that was bad, the automatic choke didn't work correctly. And the steering column didn't work correctly because it froze a lot. So she went to Columbus and she called me one night and said, I'm not driving this car. And I'm watching what happened. She said, I have to stop at the red lights when the choke gets stuck, get out put a pencil or something in the automatic choke and so she could go on of course this is right in columbus so she gave the car up and i gave her my car okay well i took that same car to school and from our house to brookside dairy is about two miles and uh the choke would work until i got there and then it would flood itself out so i'd have to get out raise the hood put a pencil in the choke and then start the car back up well one morning <laughs> my steering it's automatic steering would freeze until it got too mild and you literally had to fight it all the way and when you let go of the steering wheel the steering wheel would spin around and so with the tires you know so i parked the car at brookside and thought it's running real good i'll just run and get my coffee and i did i went in there and i was paying for it and the, the lady turned to the cash register and she screamed hey there's nobody in that car well what had happened was the car was running and it jumped from park into reverse and went out into the main highway <laughs> doing donut type things with it. So I went out there and I was like trying to get on a jump rope. And so I got myself keyed in, pulled the door open and jammed it in the park, parked right back in there. And I went back in there because those people who were in that situation they weren't real fond of educators anyhow so when i got in there they called me so-and-so names and i said yeah you know that's me and i'm i am in charge of the school over here that was the car that Lori got doug i love how your dad's like hey we had this car it was a really good car there was only a couple things wrong with it like it was rusting out and you had to put a pencil in it and <laughs> like a great car oh my God, it sounds like you got a steal ray at 250 dollars it sounds like you got a heck of a deal well, i did get a heck of a deal <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Ray and Doug, you guys are fantastic. I am so glad you signed up to do this with us. So thank you so much for sharing some of these stories. It was amazing to talk to you both. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, I, I think in our situation, you know, the one thing that kept us both going, and I think that had to do a whole lot with our faith we have, you know, I think mm-hmm. that's what Doug, going to a situation like he had, the odds were unbelievable odds but he had the faith that he could do it you know and i think this is a story that people say well it doesn't happen it, it can happen if but you know god's going to do so much for you but you're going to have to do so much also to take care of that situation he's going to do his share you don't have to do your share too to meet up to that whole situation right what blows me away is you grew up as you said on the wrong side of the tracks and now you have a gymnasium named after you that's pretty incredible it's quite the legacy ray yeah it is well, it wasn't just me. I mean, I didn't do that all myself. There's lots of things that happened that it's almost like uh, that building will be tore down years from now. That's not even going to remember. So it, maybe it's good for right now. But what in the scheme of things, you know, the importance of it, maybe it's important right now. But what's going to happen in, let's say, 50 years when the gym goes down? You understand what I'm talking about? Yeah. I enjoy it. 
Yeah. You're talking about like a kerosene fire inside the gym. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you got that right. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's exactly right. Friends, we want to encourage you to please follow us wherever you listen to this, whether it's on the Apple Podcast app, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or one of the other platforms. You guys, it's completely free. And while you're there, feel free to give us a rating or a nice review. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story.